You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Very quick introduction uh, to this book. It was written by a man named Paul. He actually introduced himself in the first verse, first sentence of the book. And uh, this book was written about 49 AD, which makes it one of, or maybe even the earliest New Testament book uh, written, and it was written to a church that the Apostle Paul planted. So he started a church, and he developed leaders, and he preached the gospel. People came to know Jesus, uh, just like we heard from Eva this morning, and they put their faith in Christ, and a church was formed in a Roman province of a place called Galatia. That's why it's called the letter to the Galatians, uh, which is now modern-day Turkey, if you're familiar with that part of the world. What is Galatians about? Well, Galatians is about freedom. It's about being free, being set free. Galatians 5 says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Don't submit, therefore, again to a yoke of slavery. What has God done for us? He has set us free. Why did he do it? So that we could be free. You get it? It's complicated. But that's it. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Christ has set us free so that we would be free. That's the the hope and purpose and agenda that God has for our life is that we would not be bonded to sin and its consequences and apart from God, but that we would be united in relationship to him. True freedom. True freedom from guilt and shame and sin, the consequences of sin and life separated from God. Uh, Primarily what's in mind is uh, spiritual freedom. It's freedom from a performance-based acceptance from God. It is freedom from the toilsome activity of finding God's favor based on what we do. And that when we, we live our life in that kind of rhythm of trying to earn God's love and seek his favor based on our righteousness, it's like we are caged. The Bible actually says we're cursed. We cannot get out of that prison, and it's Christ that sets us free. That's what this letter is all about. It's the overarching theme and aim of this letter. We're going to learn a lot about what it means to be free and how to become free and even the the fruit of freedom as we go throughout this book. It's going to take us a few months to do. I think it'll be really wonderful. And so let's dig in. Let's read Galatians chapter 1, just the first nine verses. Uh, Join with me as we Read the opening of this letter. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, Amen. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is God's word. We open up the scriptures, and it's not just a book, a textbook that's written a long time ago. We receive it as God's word. 
It's inspired. It's, it's breathed from God, from his heart and mind to us. And so when we read these and listen to these words, it is, it is as if we are hearing directly from God. You may have a similar experience that, that I had when I was growing up as a, as a young boy, uh, going on vacation or different outings, different places in town. We, we always had home base. So this is when if you were to become separated from the rest of the group or from your parents or your siblings, there was a, a designated spot, home base, that we would go to if we were lost, and then they would always come back and they would always know where to find us. If we ever got distracted or got caught up at the zoo and looking at animals and looked back and, and, and parents weren't there, we go to home base. You may be asking, well, how often did you have to use that? <laughs> Every time we left the house, every time we left the house. Seven kids in my family, usually the, the, you know, the, the one that was always left behind, that was me. Um, this is a good practice to have some middle of seven. So my parents always told people they had six kids. And I'm like, seven, right here. Um, it's good practice to have home base. You get lost, you get distracted, you're prone to wander um, and if you were like me, you just believed that it was done intentionally and you were deliberately left behind. But there was always a place, my sister laughing, uh, she knows it's true. And uh, it's good to have a home base. It's good to have a place to go. When you say to yourself, how did I end up here? This isn't where I want to be. I'm afraid. I feel scared. I'm isolated. I'm cut off. I'm lonely. And we go back to home base. Well, something like that is going on here. This is what Paul is doing to this church that he has started and these Christians who have put their trust and faith in Jesus. And he plants a church. He's established the leadership. He builds a community upon the grace of God. He calls this the gospel, the good news. And these people are captured by the grace of God. Their lives have been transformed. They have left a life of sin and they have joined themselves to the grace of God. They have been set free from a performance-based attitude of salvation and growth in Christ, and now he checks in on them, and he is astonished. He's blown away. You, you likely feel the, the, the change in tone there in, in verse 6. I mean, the first, the first uh, five verses are really lovely, aren't they? Oh, Paul, what a great guy. He's like writing his love letter to his friends. And then he kind of pauses and then he says, look at yourself. <laughs> I'm blown away. I'm astonished. I'm devastated by what I see. How far you have turned from the gospel in how you live your lives. And so he's calling them back home. Come back home to Christ. Come back home to home base Find your way back into the, the love that captured you at the very beginning. He uses an aggressive word. He says, you've deserted him who called you in grace. You know, their big error wasn't this big monumental thing. It wasn't this one thing that had happened that he then checks in and he says, I can't believe you're doing that one thing. And that's not usually how we typically lose our way or how we wander from the truth of God's grace. It happens over a thousand small steps through our life, through our day, through our, our year, through a decade of time. It's the result of personal sins. It's the result of being deceived and confused by the constant chatter that we hear in the world. It's the result of being entangled in all kinds of temptations and sins. And all of these things act as a, a way of distorting 
the truth of the gospel. And there's nothing worse that a Christian can do than desert God by turning away from his grace to another means of finding hope and security and acceptance. Nothing worse than deserting God, the God who brought us into grace, and then going and putting our trust in other things. The gospel is home base, and that's what Paul is welcoming us back into. He's welcoming his church back into. Come back home. You've lost your way. It's our home base attitude. It's our home base hope, our home base motivation and aim for, for everything that we do. It's, it's where we find our, our, our hope, motivation, our power, our peace. It's in the grace of God. The gospel is summed up in verse 3. The gospel can be summed up in this way. Christ gave himself for our sins. That's it. It's kind of the, the summary of, of what the good news is, that Christ gave himself for our sins. And he says there are some who want to distort the gospel. There are some who make a compelling argument that our value and the value of other people is determined by how we act, what we accomplish, what we accumulate, what we do say or feel in this life. And just as equally, we, pr- we place our, our righteousness sometimes not on what we do, but actually what on we, we don't do. Well, I don't, I'm not like that person. I don't do that. I don't say that. I would never be that person. And so it, it, he says, people have confused you. People have distorted the gospel. They have They've made a compelling argument, and you have believed a lie that says our security in God's love, our acceptance in relationship with Him, our significance in this life has anything to do with what we do, say, or think, what anything that we can contribute. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Paul says, I don't care... If an angel comes to you at night in your bedroom and tells you a different story, don't believe it. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I don't care if he claims to be an angel. That's actually happened before. This is good news. It it, it leads to true freedom. Christ gave himself for our sins. We're accepted by God. We're secure in his love. We're significant above all the creation, not because of anything we can contribute but because of the fact that Christ gave himself for our sins. And if we can dig deeper into that reality, it will change our entire lives. It'll change how we interact with people. It'll change how we react to circumstances beyond our control. It'll change the way we react to our sins when we do sin. It'll change the way we react when we succeed and and accomplish long-term goals that we've had our whole life. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Not an angel, not a politician, not the CDC. I I don't know who you're getting your information from. (laughs) Yeah, but the CDC says, yeah, not even them. This isn't what makes you important. This isn't what makes you valuable. This isn't what makes you special. It's not what gives you hope. Obeying any, any version, finding our value in any version of this is to Desert God who gave us his grace. But my grandmother, not even her. Not even an angel like your grandmother. The big question for Christians is, is there a way back? 
You know, I think this, this is the hope that, that Paul is bringing to them because they've, they've already gotten to a place where they've deserted this, this gospel. They have wandered from this. They, they're in a place and they wake up and they say, where, how did I get here? And I can't even remember the last time I felt like I was home with God, secure in his love, resting in his peace, rejoicing in his hope. And there is a way back when we mess up. When our hearts wander from God, when we're caught up in sin, when we've deserted God and turned to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all, he says, um, we've all been there. Maybe you're there right now. You see, we, we have all been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you woke up this morning and you, you even come into church today and, and, and you ha- feel that you have wandered from home base. You know it better than anybody else. You feel it deep in your heart. You feel that ache and that loneliness. You feel the guilt and the shame. And the question is, can we find our way back? And Paul says, absolutely. But it's not how you think. It's not about, it's not about what you can do. It's not about you working harder. It's not about you turning over a new leaf or, or opening a new chapter in your life. It is about what God is doing and has done in you. Paul's big answer in this is, yes, this is the great news that there is a way back. And not about doing something or changing your character. The only way to be set free from the sin that causes us to wander is through the grace of Christ that saved us in the first place. There's nothing more important in your entire life than how you respond on a daily basis to the phrase, Christ gave himself for our sins. When you sin, Christ gave himself for my sins. When you fail, Christ gave himself for my sins. When someone sins against you, Christ gave himself for my sins and for his or hers. When you have uncertainty about the future, Christ gave himself for my sins. He has accomplished all of my hopes. He has secured all of my greatest needs. He has faced my greatest, my greatest nightmares and conquered them, and I have triumphed over all that could go wrong because Christ died for my sins more important than finding a job and finding a spouse or even finding yourself. It's better than cleaning up your life for God. In fact, it's, it's the only means really of, of actually becoming cleaned up for God is because of what he does for us. For Paul, the only way to real freedom is freedom, you know, freedom from a performance-based love from God is to give an amen to the work of Christ on our behalf. What do I mean? Giving an amen to the work of God on our behalf. What do I mean by that? You know the word. We tag it on the end of our, our phrases and our prayers. When we're done saying what we need to say, we say amen. Well, let's read verse 3 to 5 once again here. When grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Paul starts his letter. This is weird. Paul says amen at the beginning rather than at the end. Why does he do that? It seems like a simple thing to do, right? Just If you would have read that introduction, you'd probably be like, oh, he's done. Well, that was a really nice letter. But then he starts. He starts what he wants to say. By rehearsing what God has done for us, he invites his readers, he invites us to voice our agreement to the great gospel with the confession, amen. Paul, he, he gives the gospel and then he says, 
then we confess with our hearts, amen, this is the truth, this is what we, this is what we anchor our life in, and then he fleshes out what all of that means. It seems like an easy thing to do, just give our confession of like, yes, I agree with that, amen means, it's this affirmation, it's a, it's, it, it could literally mean so be it, or let it be so. It is kind of like saying, okay, this is what I'm praying for. God, make it happen, and this is my hope, my confession, my trust. But it might be one of the hardest things to do is to say amen to the grace of God all throughout our day. It's like saying, yes, I agree. This is what I need. This is my hope. It's something that we say with our heart, not just with our mouths. It's something we say with our, with our life. We really, we believe it, we experience it, we know it, we rest in it. And when we look at Christ who gave himself for our sins, with our whole hearts, Paul is saying, with our whole hearts we confess, amen. Yes, this is it, this is what I agree in, agree with. Saying amen to, the, to grace is to move from being a spectator of the gospel to being a participant in the reality of God's story. You might believe the gospel. You might look upon the gospel and say, I, I believe the story. I affirm what the scriptures say, that, that Jesus died for my sins, and I affirm that I am a sinner in need of grace. But unless we live with a constant, continual amen to that story, we're just looking at the gospel from a distance and saying, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, I belong to that. I agree with that. And never being a participant in that good news, Paul welcomes us back home. Paul invites his church back to home base. It's our way of trusting not in ourselves, but in Jesus for our salvation. It's a way of not trusting in ourselves for our growth and our security and our courage and our endurance and character in life, but in trusting in Jesus so how do we know if we really have that gospel? How do we know if we're a spectator or a participant? How do we know if we're that? Well, um, our passage reveals a couple things, I think, that are really helpful. It points us in that direction. Look in your own life and see if these two things are present. First is, have you experienced the power of the gospel? Paul says in verse 1 that he was called not by man, but through Jesus Christ and the God, the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So Paul is saying the same power that raised a dead man to life is the same power that's working in my life right now. The same power has given the good news to me and changed my heart and transformed my motives, my ambitions, my passions, my emotions. What does that mean practically? Well, think about this. I've heard people say quite often, um, I've been a Christian my whole life and I've never known a time when I didn't embrace the grace of God. First of all, praise God if that's your story. Praise God if that is your story. Uh, there's never been a time you didn't know Jesus, that you didn't not know Jesus. Yeah, is that how you say it? The Bible, that's great. Some people feel, oh, I don't have this, like, I, I, you know, I didn't used to be on meth, and now I would trust it. It's like, that's good. That's good. That's not your story. And if, if that is your story, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad God's working on you. If that is your story, this traumatic, like, rock bottom, Christ picking you up from the worst you could be. That's a miracle. The Bible depicts the, God, the grace of God as a disturbance that comes into our life, something that 
got to you and changed how you viewed yourself and God. It doesn't have to be traumatic, but it is a change. It is a confrontation. It is something that does dramatically move us from being a, a, a spectator and looking out at the gospel of God from a distance to being one that experiences the real transformation of the grace of God. The gospel is more than just information. It's a powerful rescue. And this is something that happens in every person who's received the true grace of God, the true good news, is they have experienced this explosion of God's power in their life that changes them from the inside out. It is a change in our heart that can only be described as a moving from death to life. I once was dead, now I'm alive. I once was cut off from God's love, but now I have God's love. I once had no hope, but now I have hope. Has that experience happened in your life? Or do you just know of the information? Do you just know of the facts? You know, if someone is drowning, you would never go over to a person at the side of the boat. They're drowning in the water, standing at the edge of a dock or something. Proceed to give them a lesson on buoyancy. And the fact that it's a really good idea to try not to breathe water in. No, you wouldn't. You would throw them a lifesaver. This is what saves you. That may be important. They can get a lesson on buoyancy later. Uh, You throw them a rope. You jump in. You sacrifice yourself to rescue that person. Knowing God and being transferred from a place of death to life is not about knowing a Bible lesson per se. It is about experiencing the powerful rescue of God from death to life. That's what that power of God does that saves us, that transforms us. Have you experienced the power of God? The next question is, have you experienced the peace of the gospel? Have you experienced the peace that God offers? You know, this could be a challenging question for many uh, for one primary reason, I think. That is, life is really hard. Life is difficult. And in this life, we experience unpeaceful things. You may be in a state of stress right now, and this question about the peace of God might leave you feeling insecure about your faith. You may be thinking, well, does that mean that if I ever feel stressed, unpeaceful, chaotic, anxious, depressed, hopeless, that the gospel has not transformed my life? Absolutely not. You see, there are momentary, there are momentary times of happiness and serenity. The peace of the gospel is not about moments of peace and serenity. The, 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 the peace of the gospel is about creating an unshakable hope in the relentless faithfulness of God. That ultimately everything about our life and everything about our security rests not in the day-to-day and the circumstances in our life, but in Christ who died for our sins. The peace of the gospel is a result of knowing deeply in our lives that our lives and all of, it, all of our life in it is in the hands of a God who truly cares for us. So whether we are faced with pestilence or, or depravity or financial chaos 
or loneliness, those are times of momentary unrest. There is a deep residing peace in our life knowing that nothing can take away the love of God. And we will ultimately be okay. That we are okay. That God will have his way with us. He will complete his work in us. And we are okay in his hands. There is no better place to be. Grace is, is the root and, the, and, and peace is the fruit. By rooting ourselves in this, the reality that, we, that Christ gave himself for our sins, rehearsing that over and over again, knowing that he loves us to the very end, the fruit of that hope, the fruit of that rest is gospel peace. Our deep peace, not necessarily our momentary peace, will be determined by the degree in which we believe that Christ died for us. And it is his work, not any other work in our whole life, that can secure our position with him. You can stop fighting for it. You can stop working for it. You can stop uh, being anxious about your performance because God gave his son for you. And that brings tremendous rest and peace. The more we preach this to ourselves and are reminded of this reality by friends, we will find our way back to home base. We'll remember that our lives are in his hands, who is a God who is relentlessly faithful. You ever, I'm sure you've been at those times, if you know Jesus, you've gotten to those times of great unrest in your life and a close friend or a family member or pastor has come into your life and said, reminded you of God's grace and his love for you, that he hasn't forgotten you, that you're not alone. And slowly you start to see that your anchor is, is firming up. You feel this peace come into your life. You, nothing in your life has changed. The, 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 the unrest and the circumstances in your life are, are all the same, but you now feel more capable to, to walk in that life to, to endure through that pain and to do it all with a God who is with you. That's peace. Knowing that you're going to be okay. That's peace. But some of you might say, I've never felt that kind of security. I've never felt that kind of security in my life. I've always been afraid. Do you pass the, the, the peace test? You know, people who live trying to gain God's acceptance and the acceptance of others by their behavior are not peaceful people. They're timid and scared and restless in their pursuit to find security. People who live as recipients of God's grace experience a bedrock of peace, an unshakable foundation that will never be taken away. People who trust in the grace of God can succeed or fail and not be, not be uh, um, crushed or not let it go to their head when they succeed. People who are not free by the gospel of grace are horrible celebrators and they're horrible grievers. When they do well, it's all about them and they just, they're the focus of it all and they're awesome and that's why they did good. People who don't trust in the peace and grace of God when they grieve, when something goes bad in their life, then the world has ended and everything is bad and they have to wrap their lives in bubble wrap and can't make a mistake because what if they make a mistake? What if they fail? What if they let people down? They just couldn't live with that kind of reality. So free people don't act like that. Those are people still caged in. Free people do not hide from their weaknesses, but confront their weaknesses with the grace of God, knowing 
that they have failed God, that they have sinned against God, but God has died for their sins. They are, they are honest about their failures. They're honest about their dependency and need on um, God. If hiding from your weakness is a normal pattern for you, then the grace of God is not fully alive, at least not in that area of life. So Paul is bringing us back, God's word is bringing us back to realizing the heart of the gospel. The real freedom is not achieved through a performance-based system of belief, but on the grace of God. Christ who died for our sins. How big of a deal is this for Paul? Uh, Consider silently (laughs) the answer to this question. What is the biggest threat to Christianity today? Is it liberalism? Is it Trumpism? Is it racism? Is it white nationalism? Is it global warmism? Yeah, I made it up. Is it whatever? Is it, is it diseasism? What is, what is the greatest threat? What is the thing that, that, that shakes the foundation of the church? What is the thing that, is, that confronts us in our life and the thing we should be most worried about? The greatest threat to Christianity is Jesus plus anything as the basis of our acceptance from God. Adding anything to the work of Christ to make us feel okay and secure and accepted and significant, to give us hope and peace, is the biggest threat to Christianity. Paul says if we do that, we have lost everything. It's not Trumpism, it's not liberalism, it's not any of those other things that can still be horrible. It's not the biggest threat. He says, I am astonished that you would add anything to the grace of God to find your peace and security and hope in this life. He's launching into a sermon that attempts to convince them how crazy they are to believe in anything that does not rest on the grace of God for their well-being in their life. This is how Paul sees the gospel. A compromise to the grace of God is a compromise to the entire system. He says it's reversed. You have, you've reversed the good news. That's the word distort more accurately can mean to change or to reverse, to go back. They're, they're not just different. It's not just a different kind of way of looking at it. It is a total opposite. It's light and dark. It's black and white. The gospel must be pure about the grace of God or nothing at all. In a former life, I was really hooked on the show Pawn Stars. Guns come in, and they look at these guns. The guy says, hey, I got this awesome gun. It's worth $5,000. And he says, did you clean it? Did you use a Brillo pad on this? Well, yeah, so what? It's worthless. I don't want it. Well, this, is, this, is a, this is like a $5,000 gun. doesn't matter. Because the value is not found in the item itself. The value is found in how pure it is. And he says, if this has been tainted with, It's garbage. The sellers are always astonished and angry, right? Well, I can't believe this. This is so important to me. It has so much value to me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how how much you feel like anchored in this. 
If it's been tainted with, then it is garbage. Any revision, any change, any alteration, it reverses its value and it's zero. The gospel can be distorted. The gospel can be reversed. The gospel can be tainted like this and tarnished in so many ways. We do it. We do it with our politics. We do it with our worldviews. We do it with our preferences. We do it... In, in, the, in, the, in the information we hear uh, through, through podcasts and newspapers and the news, and we are shaping our idea for how to live 90% on, 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 on the wisdom of the world and like a little bit of 10% on the wisdom of God. Paul has two criteria for determining the real gospel. And here it is. It must teach that we are too sinful to contribute to our salvation, that we need complete rescue. These are the criteria that Paul lays before us in this passage and in Galatians. You cannot do it by yourself. You cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You cannot be a good enough person. There is no type of Christian. There is no person that's like good enough for God. And the second thing is that we're saved by belief in Jesus' work, the grace of Christ, and nothing else. He says, you are dead. Christ gave himself for us. He died for our sins. And Paul's adamant about maintaining this purity of the gospel to, to such an extent that it's remarkable. He says, if anyone comes to you and says anything not like this, even if it's me, tell them to go to hell. That's what he says. That's what that means. Have you ever felt that confident about anything? <laughs> hey, if I ever stop liking Dave Matthews, tell me to go to hell, you know? If I ever stop listening to Taylor Swift, just tell me to go to hell. <laughs> if I ever vote for a, you know, insert political party here, tell me to go to hell. You ever felt so passionate about something? Take my gun away, you could go to hell, right? Wow, really getting political today. <clears throat> the gospel of grace is God's favor given to us apart from our spiritual performance. This is what Paul is so passionate about. It's the only thing to be this passionate about because it's the only thing that gives us true peace. It's the only thing powerful enough to give us a new heart, to justify us. In closing, here are, talking about grace, here are five things to do to receive the grace of God. Are you ready? No, I'm kidding. There's no to-do list. Come on. Like some of you are like, oh, all right, like, get your pen out. Like, okay, what are the things I got to do? See, here's the problem. Like, we want that. We want, okay, what do I have to do? How do I begin this? What do I have to, how do I get my life back in order? We hear about the God, God's grace, and we're so programmed to do and to earn and to work our way into God's blessing. Okay, I will give you something to do. Be a beggar. That's really the only thing we can contribute be a beggar, fully dependent on God, fully needy, fully reliant. Be poor in spirit. Be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Be so dependent on God that without God, you know that you would not survive in this life or in the next or at any moment today. Be so dependent on God that you wake up in the morning and say, I don't know what I will face today and what challenges will come my way and I need you, please provide for me. Please do not step aside from my life. And then you go to bed every single night, and you say, I can't believe we made it another day. Let's do it again tomorrow. 
And every single day you do that over and over and over again. And that's a life. That's how we're supposed to live our life. On our knees, in prayer, in need, fully dependent on God. Jesus plus nothing. Are you a beggar? If you're not a beggar, then you are relying on something other than Jesus for your hope, for your peace, for your acceptance, for your salvation. But if you're fully dependent on God, hearing his invitation to come back to home base a hundred times a day, and that's okay if you have to do it a hundred times a day. Keep hearing him call you back. Be aware of how you are feeling throughout the day and how you're experiencing the challenges of the day. And say, God, I am prone to find my hope in this happening. And he says, but I gave my life for you. You're safe. I'm with you and nothing will ever change that. Then you will understand God's grace. You will experience his power and you will grow in his peace. And you'll truly be free. Rest in Jesus, in nothing else, and that is what it takes to say amen to grace.